0: Our Father in heaven, we humbly come before you, and we want to thank you for this time, a time that we're committing to your trust, Lord. And we do pray, uh, Father, that you, you would speak, that it wouldn't be me, for it's your words, Lord Jesus, that they are truth, and they are life, and they are spirit. And so we just pray that your word would go forth, that you would descend down from above and put your words upon my mouth. And that every single person under the sound of my voice would receive your word, your holy manna, the heavenly bread. As Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he who hungers and thirsts and feeds on me has everlasting life. And so, Lord, that's what we pray here this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, your word comes down from heaven and does not return void, that it doesn't just enter our ear and out the other one, but into our ear and then the depths of our heart. And so we thank you, we love you, and we honor you in this time. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and the saints said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, so I was here maybe five, six Thursdays ago, and I didn't finish this. So when I was asked to teach, I said, we're just going to finish the word. And I can't think of any better goal or view for the new year but to keep our eyes on the cross. Amen. Because at the end of the day, the cross is the ultimate entry point to the Lord is that everything goes, filters through the cross. As you guys have heard it said before, the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need the cross. So a quick background on the Gospel of John. Written by John A, not John B. John A is John the Apostle. John B, John the Baptist. All right, see, you got to be reading, I like that. So John A, and his main purpose for writing, he, he writes in John chapter 20 that, I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen? And so he writes that that that's the purpose. But also that Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. He's not just the Messiah, but he's the invisible God made visible. He's the God of the Old Testament wrapped in human flesh, as John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John indicates Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God, by recording several what we call I am statements. If you guys remember back in the book of Exodus is that Moses came and said, Lord, who do I, who do I say sent me? Like what, They're not going to believe. What, what am I supposed to say? And God told him, You just tell him that I am that I am sent you. And it just simply means I've always existed. I am the one, the only one. And so Jesus comes on the scene and then John records these statements, and you guys have heard them that Jesus says he's the bread of life, that he's the light of the world, that he's the living water, he's the door to the sheepfold, he's the good shepherd, he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the resurrection and the life, and that he's the true vine. See, he is everything that God is simply wrapped in human flesh, and that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so today, we're going to be in John chapter 12, and I tell the message, Keeping Your Eyes on the Cross, part two. All that is going on in our world today we essentially, our country, our nation is the embodiment of calling good evil and evil good. We call sin blessed and we call righteousness evil. Our country is more concerned about what offends man than what offends God. And so what better way to get the new year starting off by looking and keeping our eyes on the cross? See, it's been said that the cross is a never-ending reminder that mankind cannot save themselves. Amen? Amen. You could talk about all the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Well, what about what about Adam? Failed miserably. Well, Noah. Noah was a drunk. I know. Abraham lied to the Lord. slept with Hagar. We know the drill, right? David. Oh, Bathsheba. I mean, we, and we could keep going on and on and on and on and whatever historical figure you want to put in the mix, you're going to see a downfall and a frailty. Jesus was the only one that came and lived a perfect life, died in your place that you can be rewarded as if you lived a perfect life as he did that all comes through the cross amen, amen. see it's the cross that god demonstrated his love towards us even when we we're unworthy and we were sinners see it's been said and i got this from psalm 85:10 that the cross is where mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss So the cross again the level's ground at the foot of the cross Through the cross is the only way that sinful men and women can be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. It's been said that at the cross, the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. If you ever get lost in the mix, you can always look back at the cross. Saints, in today's chapter... Jesus has his eyes on the cross. You guys know out of all four gospels that there's more chapters spent on the last few days of Jesus' life than anything else in his life, the cross. So up into this chapter, Jesus has already turned the water to wine. He's already had his encounter with the women at the well. He's healed the lame man by the pool of him, fed the 5,000, walked on water, healed the blind man in John chapter 9, And then, of course, in John 11, he had already raised Lazarus from the dead. If all those signs aren't enough for you to believe in Jesus at this point, sadly, you may not ever believe, unfortunately. And so as we come to the text in John 12, we're now about less than a week away from the cross of Calvary and actually the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. So quick uh, up just to catch you up, because we didn't go in the beginning of the chapter. We're starting in the middle. So the beginning of John 12, John chapter 12, which is point one in your outline, we have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And some of you guys may know kind of that history that they're really close friends of Jesus, but I believe that their life points to a lot of places in our life where where we can be. Where we know that Mary, every time we see her, she's at the feet of Jesus. Martha, every time we see her, she's serving, chief servant. And then when we see Lazarus, he's sitting at Jesus' table. And so we can glean from that, point one in your outline is devoting our lives to worship and service. In the beginning of the chapter, Mary had very, very expensive oils called spikenard. And it was worth about a, a year's salary, about $50,000. And she poured it on Jesus' feet. What are you thinking? Judas said, what are you, that's a whole year's of salary. You could have given it to the poor. Like he cared for the poor, but he didn't. And it really was an act of worship. And it was an act of devotion is that we can't offer to the Lord that which cost us nothing, as King David said, right? Anything walking with the Lord is going to cost you something. It's an exchange. You can't have both everything you want and the benefits of the cross. You got to choose one. You can only serve one master. And so we see characteristics, I believe that should be in all of our walks, being a chief servant. You know when James and John came came to Jesus, his mother came to Jesus, and they said, "Hey, can can we you know can my son sit on your left and right hand side, right?" And Jesus just simply says, "Look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's not about how many people serve you, but it's really about how many people you serve. Being a chief servant. So if you want to be great, learn to be servant of all. And then we see the sacrifice of Mary, and then we see Judas. What a shame." But you know what? We need to all take heed of the spirit and attitude of Judas because he was a pretender. He was a poser. Walked with Jesus, was a disciple of Jesus, was a church goer, right? Read his Bible, did all those things. And Jesus said, I chose 12 of you and one of you was a devil. We need to take heed of covetousness. In Proverbs 4, it says, guard your heart above all things, for out of it are the issues of life. And then that brings us to today's text, in the middle of it, it just, uh, Jesus had just gone through the triumph, triumphal entry where he entered in on a donkey fulfilling prof, Old Testament prophecy up into the day. Those of you who are familiar with prophecy, Daniel's prophecy had it up into the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. To the day. And we're going to say that the word of God is not true. It's true. Amen? And so the triumphal entry comes in. And this is shortly after that. And I'm going to start with uh, verse number 20 simply because it gives us the context for the verse that we're going to end up at. So verse 20 says this in, your, in the Bible. I'll let you guys turn there if you weren't there. Amen. It's important. So point to our outline. is count the cost to follow Jesus. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and then turned Andrew and Philip told Jesus. In verse 23. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. Most assuredly, I say unto you, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies and remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So what happens, they came to worship, the f- worship at the feast. There were seven feasts. Three of them were what we call pilgrimage feasts, where they had to actually travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And they had people from all over, Jews and Greeks, and there's some who wanted to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And I hope and pray that will be every single one of us is our desire is show me the Lord. I want to see Jesus. I want to learn of him. And then us as disciples, we would simply just point people to Jesus. Now, wait, let me tell you, let me, I can tell you, but just get them to Jesus quickly as possible. If they spend too much time with you. There may be a problem, right? Let's get them to Jesus. Point them to him. Amen. Let's get them there quickly as we can. And then Jesus responds and he simply says, the hour is. Has come. If you guys look throughout the Gospel of John, that phrase is used many times, and every single time it's pointing to the hour of the crucifixion. That Jesus was heart was set on his purpose for coming, the hour of his time. And every single one of us, believe it or not, reality hits, all of us have an hour. We have what we call an appointed time. The scripture says it's appointed for a man to die once. And then afterwards is the judgment. And so living for our hour is very, very important. In fact, King Solomon would say, teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. The wisest thing you can do on this lifetime is to prepare for the life to come. And so he points and said, my hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he uses this analogy, which I love, of the grain. He says, look, if a grain falls... To the ground, it dies and remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Pointing to Jesus had to die for the fruit of salvation to come. Old Testament, all the blood of bulls and goats, billions, trillions can never take away sin. It Just simply covered it until the one who could took it away, which is Jesus. And so he's given this analogy. And on your outline, I have a fruitful life is one of self-denial that he who loves his life will lose it to live. We must die. And what that means is that many people want the benefits of the cross, but don't want the crucifixion. They want to hang out by it, right? They want to touch it, but they don't want to get on it. Because here's the bottom line is that in this life, you will have tribulation, right? But all throughout scripture, there's a command to pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow Jesus and you'll have treasures in heaven. And so Jesus is explaining, hey, just like the wheat falls to the ground and dies, so must I die so that you can have life. And that brings us to verse today, verse 25. Then he says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, what I noticed when I, when I read scripture, and even when I have opportunities to share the gospel, there's always three types of people in every crowd the curious, the serious, and the furious. There's people who are curious about the Lord and they hear tell me more about this. And there's people that are really serious. They hunger and they thirst for righteousness and they really love the Lord. And then you have the furious that they are offended. How dare you tell me that? Who do you think you are by telling me I'm not God? I, I don't rule my own life. And so we see it all throughout scripture is that Jesus will say some tough stuff to people. And those who are curious would want to hear more. Those who are serious embrace the word of God. But then those who are furious, they want nothing to do with it. But we are called to cast the net. We're not called to change people's hearts. Amen. So cast the net. When he says, as Jesus presses closer to the cross, he seeks true worshipers. And so here's what Jesus says. In order to follow me, you must forsake your life here on earth in order to find it eternally in him. It's a great exchange. He who loves the world, the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in them. And the love of the world makes us an enemy with God. For you note takers, for context, Mark chapter 8, 34 through 37 says this. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you'll save it. Verse 36. And it says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the cross. When he says love his life, this means to delight in, be a friend of, have an affection for, being attached to from the heart, and this is hard because life is precious. Will any of you guys sell your eye for a million dollars? No. Why? Because your eye is precious. I can see things with my eye. What about your nose, your ear? Million, two million? I wouldn't. I don't know about you. I wouldn't. I got. $2, 3000000 million can't smell or see. I'm good. I, I'm not doing that. But life is so, so precious. But a lot of times we can hang on to our life too tight. And if you didn't think so, COVID hit and we found out a lot about ourselves, didn't we? Wow. We found out how much we really cling to the things of this world. A lot of us were petrified. And sadly, there was many of us, even in the church, who began to believe in the sovereignty of COVID rather than the sovereignty of God. Ouch. Right? But the reality is, is that to follow Christ, he must be above all. And Jesus gives the example of mother, father, son, daughter, own life. Doesn't mean you hate them. It means Jesus has to be above them. That's how you keep your eye on the cross. He says the prerequisite is to to follow me is to give up your life. For you note takers, Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says this, that we're to set our minds on the things that are above and not on things, earth on earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So as Jesus draws closer to the cross, guess what? Circle gets smaller. As he gets closer and closer, John six, you guys remember, he gave some tough sayings. Hey, he who doesn't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Know, they said, whoa, that you're not talking about the bread anymore. We can't be filled off your flesh. That's a hard saying. And they said, many of his disciples walked with him no more. And therefore, too, you and I, saints, as we get closer to the cross, as we grow closer in our relationship with the Lord and we stand firm on the things of Scripture, your circle's going to get smaller. The people, your friends at work, the people that play with you on your sports teams and all your little fantasy football, they may, it's gonna start, they're going to start getting smaller, Right? You know, because the Bible says if everyone loves you, there's a problem. But if everyone hates you, there's a problem too. You, you need to have some on both camps, right? Find a happy balance in the, in the middle. But Jesus is drawing closer to the cross and his circle is getting smaller. And many claim to be his disciples, but they're really not willing to count the cost. Second Timothy 4 and 6, for your note-takers, Paul says this, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. How many of us right now could say that? Because you guys know every day you're closer to the finish line. And really, we're supposed to live our lives as if this is the end. Many of us love our lives so much but this is a matter of our affections over the Lord. He says, he who hates his life. This means to detest and really it means to love less. It's a matter of priority, saints. Gotta get your priorities in in order for the new year, right? New year, new you. I would say new year, same goal. More like Jesus, amen? Keep our eyes on him. When he says the term, Jesus re- realistically says we must love everything else less than we love him. But our human condition causes us to love everything else over the Lord. And I know for us, it, it can be hard. And especially for our young teenagers, I know it's really hard because you got all the social media in the way, right? And even for us, we, we get in the same, the same thing. And when you're struggling, I want to encourage you this morning. Really what it is, the struggle simply is between the flesh and the spirit, and really what it is, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the easier it is to say no to the flesh. It's been said that you have too much of God to be satisfied in the world, and, too, and then sometimes you have too much of the world to be satisfied with God, but you can't have both. And so I encourage you guys to, be, to have too much of Jesus to be satisfied with the things of the world. It's been said that obedience without the Spirit is driving a car without wheels. You won't go anywhere. Amen? And that's something that we all got to take heed to. When he says, we'll keep it to everlasting life, that just simply means guard and keep from being snatched away, preserved safe, unimpaired from perishing. Saints, it's Jesus that keeps us in the grip of his hands. The Bible says he keeps us by the word of his power. Is that we don't have to fear being out of his presence or separated from God. I love all the promises in scripture. There's over 8,000 of them. And I know in my deepest times, I cling tight to the promises of the Lord. Well, this is one of them, that you will be guarded until everlasting life. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Saints, this is the evidence of true conversion. How we respond to this statement says a lot about where our faith is and where our heart is. How do you respond to that? He who loves me must lose his life. If anyone comes after me, he must serve me. Does that bother you? Does that make you think? Or is that something that you rejoice in? You say, you know what, Lord, it's worth it. You died for me on the cross. The least I can do is live for you here on earth. And so that's the encouragement. Saints, what areas of our lives are we unwilling to surrender? What areas are getting in the way of our relationship with the Lord? I'm running into more and more people from all ages and all people groups and all life, and their number one hindrance is fear. They're petrified. What if this might happen? What if that might happen? Saints, I want to remind you that spirit doesn't come from the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And I love his word because over 365 times he mentions, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be afraid. Because we need one every day, at least a reminder. Amen? We need that. And so we're be reminded, do not fear and do not be afraid. Verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will will honor. Notice he doesn't say, if, if anyone except those who read their Bible. He doesn't say, if anyone except those who pay their tithes all the time. If anyone except those who have a lot of money. Notice everyone. If anyone serves me, let them follow me. Jesus says that his servants will be wherever he is. As a servant's job is to serve and follow the master. That means they must be available, saints, present and attentive. It is those who are following Jesus that are truly his disciples compared to those who only offer lip service. And the lip service one is tough. Nowadays, they would say America is like 80% Christian. We know that's not true. We know that's not true, stop. But what it means is 80% are professing Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Yeah, I do a two-minute devotional every day. And then I go to church uh, when there's a holiday, maybe, right? If if football season is not there, then maybe there's a break in the NBA. I'm not sure, right? But it's very clear that it's not just what you say, but how you live, right? And Jesus makes it very clear. If anyone serves me, they'll follow me. And then where I am, there my servant will be also. See, Jesus' response To these disciples, when he says these Greeks would like to see you, Jesus knows people come from all various reasons, and he makes it very clear and cuts right to the heart. I love that he doesn't say, "Oh, really? They like where'd they come from?" No, hey, uh, if they're gonna come after me, they must follow me. Cut right to the chase. That word serves; it means to wait upon, to tend to anything that may serve of another's interest. Saints, who are we serving? It will be shown in where our passions are. It will be shown in what we pursue and what we run to. A good test is how we respond to trials. But even more so, saints, I encourage you guys, are we even serving our, our local church body? If not, I would encourage you guys to examine yourselves before the Lord. You know, the, the Bible says that we're all members of the body of Christ, that you've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so essentially, you have no spiritual right to separate yourself from the body of Christ any more than a finger can jump off the hand. Those two things don't go together. And when you serve, you're blessed. Guess what? Everyone in here, if you're born again, filled with the spirit, you have a spiritual gift and you're supposed to use it, right? And I know it can be scary, I get it. But all you do is you pray for the Lord to guide you in that. And I encourage you guys to use the gifts that God has given you and be a servant of all. When he says, let him follow me, it means to accompany, to join one as a disciple. You know, it's been said that Christianity is more caught than taught. Is that many people can say all these things and I can't tell you guys how many opportunities I've had to talk to people about the gospel and yet their observation of how I live has been more impactful. They say, yeah, I heard what you said, but I was really more enthused with how you lived your life when I saw how you dealt with so-and-so. When that person did that to you and you responded a certain way, I'm actually more attentive now to what you say because I watched how you live. And saints, what kind of gospel is our life preaching? At work, I had a close brother in Christ and he constantly said, look, my goal is to be the same person at work, that I am outside of work because work, there's accountability in my life. There's not much accountability. And saints, it starts from the inside out. If we went and asked your coworkers, closest people to you, closest five people to you, what would they say? What gospel message does your life preach? I pray we take that to heed. Ephesians 5 says that we're called to be imitators of God following Jesus, our life-bearing witness to that. He says, still in verse 26, he says, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If you guys remember, Jesus told his disciples in John fourteen three, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. That's a promise. You can, you can cast that out in heaven. He is true to his word. It's been said that many people want to follow Jesus to heaven, but not to the cross. Heaven sounds really good. No pain, no sorrow, no death, no dieting, right? <laughs> Eat whatever I want, good shape, all the fun. But then there's that cross thing. Oh, I don't know about that. But here's the truth no one bears a crown in heaven who doesn't bear a cross here on earth. Can't have one without the other. See, Saints, the believer's passions and affections must be in heaven and in the life to come, not in this present world that is passing away. In Christ, we have a better hope. We have better promises. We have a better home and we have a better life to come. The one whose hearts, passions, and affections are in following Jesus will hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's something I long for and cannot wait to hear. Amen? Amen. First Samuel 2.30, it says this, but now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Are we living a life of honoring Jesus? You know, the kids here, for those of you who don't know, by God's grace, I have had an opportunity to be the campus pastor here, and I still am, and I love it. But a lot of the kids make fun of me because of the, of the con- common things that I say. All the time I tell them, praise God. So they walk around, oh, every time they see me, oh, praise God, praise God, and it's a big joke, right? But every time I see them doing something that's dishonoring the Lord, I ask them, does that honor the Lord? Is what you're doing bring glory to his name? And so that's another thing when I come by, they Pastor like, camper, is that honoring the Lord? Every time. And they do it as a joke, and it's funny, but the truth is, it's a real question does that honor the lord? And it's a real reality that when you when you guys are living your life and making decisions in every area of your life, the goal is is this going to bring glory to God's name? Is this going to honor the Lord? For the young people, I get this all the time. Pastor Camper, is ta- are tattoos bad Are they wrong? Like I mean, what if I get like 10 crosses and 20 Bible verses, right? And all I tell them is, "Hey, look. If whatever you're doing doesn't honor the Lord, and that's between you and In him. But the question for all of us are we living a life that's honoring Jesus in our time, treasure, and talent? It's rooted in our heart to serve the Master. I encourage you guys to pray to give you the eyes to see are you honoring the Lord? Verse 27, I'll speed it up. Now he says, My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I love this because it shows the fact Jesus is human. He wasn't only God, he was the God man. He was God that became man and his soul is troubled. Have any of you ever had a troubled soul? I know I have many times and often. And Jesus is coming to the father that my soul is troubled. Save me from this hour he tried to get out his human side, his flesh wanted out. And let that be encouragement to every single one of us that in our flesh, we can't do anything to honor the Lord. But notice how he deals with it. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me. He's feeling the weight of the cross to bear, a real cross to bear. Not the cross we talk about. It's my cross to bear. They didn't like me because I told them about Jesus, and now I have to bear that cross. It's a very, very small cross right there. It's a very small one. But Jesus is talking about the cross, the real cross, the sin of the entire world since the world began. If you would just look at all the sins that are in Scripture, that's hard to bear. But we go further than that from the sin of Adam, all the way to the end of the world. Jeffrey Dahmer, Sudan Hussein, you name all the wicked people and include yourself in there as well. Amen, right? Because we're all sinners and falling short of the glory of God and not one sin has more bearing than another. But Jesus is feeling the real true weight and burden of caring and paying for that entire price. Someone who never sinned at all. You know, my kids always tell me, that's not fair. I didn't do that. You know what's not fair? Is Jesus died on the cross and he was perfect. That's not fair. But because of his great love, the Bible says, he died for us. So he says, my soul is troubled. And that means my mind and heart, there's no calmness of mind. It's an inward commotion. This is the same word Jesus used when he said, one of you is going to betray me. In Matthew 26 and 38, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, the same feeling, the weight was on him there. The reality of the price that Jesus is gonna pay for our sins is very dreadful in reality. Imagine, saints, we can, we can go there, imagine in your mind, you're about to take on the punishment of all mankind. Every sin that has ever been committed. You see, some of us struggle with just dealing with people for one day right? Oh, I had a tough day. I'm drained. I had to deal with people all day. I'm drained. I need my space, right? But he's talking about the sin of the entire world. Every burden, every weight, every sin, every evil act is now upon him. But take notice. Here's what he says. He addresses the father. He says, father, What shall I say? He didn't go and hide. He didn't panic. He didn't run away. But he went to the Father in prayer. For some of you know, uh, for about the last 13 years, I've worked with at-risk youth. I've run two boys' homes, and a lot of ministry has gone on there. And there's some people even in this congregation that are fruit of that, by God's grace. About three weeks ago, the owner let us know she was shutting down shop. And that was a big, like, Whoa, 13 years, I've been there seven and a half at that place, what do you do? And there's many people that work there, some people in our church, uh, Brother Craig, he, he was the manager there as well. And, and that was a heavy reality. How are you gonna feed your family? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna pay your mortgage, right? That was the breadwinner. And the million people asked me, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I was like, well, I can't panic. And I was convicted. Well, like, I can't panic, because I pray too much. But if you panic, you won't pray. And so in the midst of a big burden, now the reality is God's a provider, right? And so for me, as long as I know I'm at where God called me to be, God's gonna provide. And I'd simply just pray and wait for him to ordain my steps. But I didn't panic, but I did pray a lot and continue to do so. And in doing that, I'll tell you guys, I found great peace that God's in control And it's been said that God's past faithfulness is a roadmap to his future faithfulness. And that when you ever get off track, go back to the roadmap. He's faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. Amen? And so Jesus knows, this hour is too much for me. But Father, he consults with the Lord in prayer. Saints, when he says, for this purpose I came to this hour He is affirming that that's why he he was born. If he was just born, lived a perfect life, and then went to heaven, it means nothing to us. He has to die in our place as the substitutionary sacrifice. He has to atone and cover for our sin. And he's the only one that was ever born that qualified for that. It says, for this purpose I have come. He has come to seek and save that which is lost, Scripture says. Jesus came to save us from our sins and destroy the works of the devil, Scripture says. John the Baptist saw him and he pointed and he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's right at the brink of the cross. In verse 27, he says, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by said that it thundered others said, an angel has spoken to him. Talk about answered prayer, right? Amen. Talk about God in an audible voice. God from God, the father from heaven, almighty speaks and affirms who Jesus is and says, I'll glorify it. And I'll glorify it again when I raise you from the dead. And so you can imagine if you're there, you hear this voice, you're looking around like what's going on. And still people didn't believe. What's it gonna take? Imagine being present at that time and a voice from heaven begins to speak. This is God the Father again affirming the identity and the mission of Jesus. God always answers our prayer, saints. It may not be what you want, but He always answers our prayers, and usually in three forms yes, no, or not right now. Not right now means wait, no means no right? That's the hard one for us. Are you sure, Lord? Maybe later. No means no. And it's usually things that go against his word. And so sometimes you don't even need to pray if you know it goes against his word. That settles it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God's word settles the case. But God always answers our prayer. So God speaks and the people around, they hear it. And Jesus says this hour again, indicating the cross. Essentially, the cross was the mission from the beginning. And this is where I got the the title of the message, keeping your eyes on the cross. Everywhere you look, he's speaking about my hour, my hour, my hour. Saints, your hour, your hour, your hour. It may be today. Where are you at with the Lord? Are you just playing church? Are you just a participant? Or are you born again? Saints, the Bible says "And Adam all die. But in Christ, all will be made alive. Amen? And so Jesus says, verse 30, He answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This, he said, signifying what death he would die. So we affirmed that this voice wasn't to help me, Jesus, although it was affirmation. He prayed and the voice came down, but he said it wasn't solely for me. It was for you guys. So that you would hear and you would know that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And then he talks about judgment, that when I'm lifted up from earth, I'm gonna draw all people to myself, whether in salvation or whether in eternal damnation it's all gonna be through the cross. You accept Christ as Lord and Savior, on that side of the cross, you have salvation. You reject Christ as Lord and Savior, on that side of the cross, you'll be left to pay for your own sin. And that's a tough reality. See, judgment for the world was near because the cross is near. Satan's time is limited, and so is his grip over sin and death. See, once Jesus died on the cross, Satan's clock began. Got a short time, buddy, and he knows that. And so you know what he does? So many times we think that Satan is, is omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He is not present in all places, and he surely is not. Om- omni- he surely does not all powerful. That's for sure. But here's what he is. I tell people he's not omniscient, but he is observant, very observant. And so he watches all of our moves, how we respond in trials, what worries us the most, what we care about the most, and then he sets up shop on those affections. Did you notice that? He knows exactly where to poke, right? But his time is short. And because his time is short, he wants to wreak havoc on the people who are serving God the most. And when I think about this, I can't but help to think about Pastor Dave, is the enemy wants to completely destroy his entire family and him. But thanks be to God that the Bible says no one can snatch him out of my hands. And that Jesus promised before the world began that in this world we will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. Saints, we have in the Holy Spirit and Jesus something that the enemy can never, ever take away. And that's the joy of the Lord. And that's an eternal heavenly inheritance in heaven when we get there. And saying, So here's what he says in John 3, 19, that this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. If I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This is Jesus' goal. Then verse 34, he says this, and the people answered him, we've heard from the law That the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Who's the son of man? Where have you guys been? All the way up until this point, he had done sign after sign after sign after sign after miracle after miracle. Proving and affirming from all the Old Testament scripture that he is the son of God. Now, the Bible does say that the Messiah was going to live forever. One of them is Isaiah nine, six, and seven, that, that the Messiah would reign, his government would be with no end. And so they understand that part of scripture, but the people don't understand the terms he's using. They know the script, what the scriptures teach, but they don't fully understand it. See, saints, the, the scriptures is one big hymn book, not H-Y-M, but H-I-M. See, they know hymns, but they don't know him. They know the worship songs, but they don't no, the one that they're supposed to worship. And so it's been said from cover to cover, the Bible is one big hymn book that the Old Testament says Jesus is coming. The gospel says he's arrived. In Acts, he's proclaimed. In the epistles, he's explained. And then Revelation says he's coming back, be ready. From cover to cover, it's all about the Messiah. I marvel when I read the book of Acts, and it says that he, they caught, when the Philip, the, uh, Philip caught the Ethiopian eunuch, said he ran up to him, caught the chariot, and said, you know what you're reading? He was reading Isaiah. And then he said he straightaway preached Christ to him. From where? Gospels weren't around then. Pistols weren't around. They preached Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, that it was all about him. It was all pointing to him. It was all pointing to redemption and a savior from the Old Testament. It was all about Jesus. And so they don't understand. They don't get, what do you mean? I thought you remained forever that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Saints, Jesus is the Son of Man. And he has been lifted up. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus died for us, we shall now live for him. Verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who let darkness overtake you, he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. In the gospel of John these are Jesus' last words of his earthly ministry. He tells them time is running out. All throughout the gospel he uses light and darkness As parallel contrast, one is light. It means righteousness, holiness, goodness, eternal life. And then darkness is death. Darkness is destruction. Darkness is being lost. He uses these words to parallel what he's saying. And he's saying, while you have the light, while I am here, believe on me. Because there's going to be a point in time to where it's not going to be available for you. And so, you know what it reminds me is that as Jesus does... All these signs and all these wonders, I can't help but to think about Pharaoh. Is that the people over and over feared the plagues, but they didn't fear God. People fear that's going to come, but they don't fear the one who's going to bring the judgment. And it happens over and over and over. And today it's the same thing. We fear the plagues, but we don't fear God. We need to fear God and you won't fear anything else. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. It's like a mighty lion. It chases all their fears away. Amen. And so we don't need to fear, but we need to understand that there is going to be a point in time, saints, where you're going to be looking for the light and you're not going to find it because you've rejected so long and your hearts have become hardened. He says, believe in the light that you may become sons of light, be born again, into the family of God. For you note takers, John 112 says this to those who receive me, to them I gave them power to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. Saints, you can't be born and grandfathered in the family of God. Just because you're religious and your family members go to church and they pray and all that, you're not gonna get in off their coattail. It's an individual decision that you have to recognize that each and every individual is is in need. Like the prayer between a tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, oh, I'm not like other men. Thank you, Lord, I do this, I do that, I do this. You won't get in on good works either. And I love the tax collector. He didn't even look to heaven. And he simply said, be merciful to me, a sinner. You talk about a sinner's prayer, there it is. Be merciful to me, a sinner. So, Jesus says, The mercy is running out you to believe on the light as he is in the light. Saints, this is the purpose of God's, John's gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All throughout Scripture, God's hand is constantly stretched out towards people who reject him, over and over and over and over and over. But eventually judgment does come. And so you have to ask yourself, are you gonna to continue to hang on to a religionship Or are you gonna cling tight to the cross in a relationship? Religion is a big, big stumbling block. I can't tell you guys how many times when I have opportunities to speak to different crowds of people. And lately we've been having Q, Q and A afterwards. And so one, someone, this this individual was genuine, and they're like, Pastor Camber, what, um, you know, what's the main difference between Christianity and Catholicism? And I'm like, that's, that's a that's a loaded question, <laughs> you know. I don't have time to go into every single aspect of that. I go, but just thinking off the top of my head, some of the things, and I just, and I just. I just kind of spread out like, hey, you know, we don't baptize baby for salvation. You know, you have to be able to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't pray to dead saints. The Bible says, why do you consult the dead on behalf of the living? I go, and we don't pray to Mary because only God hears our prayers, right? And so I just kind of briefly went into those things and they understood it and I showed them scripture. After that, I had like three or four people come to me angry. Remember the curious, serious, and furious? They were furious, (laughs) furious. Hey, can I talk to you? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? how do you say, and they went through every aspect, and I I went through scripture, and they were angry. And I said, look, if you can show me in scripture, I'll bow, I'll bow, you got me, if you can show me in scripture. (laughs) Couldn't give me one verse, couldn't give me one verse. And then they also wanted to say, oh, well, I said, well, you know, here's the thing, I don't know what you believe, you tell me what you believe. Because there's so many different sects of, of Catholicism, Mormonism, you name it. Tell me what you believe. And they wanted to say, well, we believe that the Pope has the authority. He's the ultimate authority of the church. Ah! Said, Excuse me. Can you show me one verse, please, that says that? And they went, well, no, I don't have one. I said, can I show you a verse? And I went to Colossians and says Christ is the head of the church. I said, so here's the thing. Are you going to believe in the Vatican? Are you going to believe Jesus? Amen? Amen? Right? No words. And as we got into a conversation, they ended, honestly, in genuine tears. That they were under the bondage of religion. And see, religion wears you out, but Jesus gives you rest. Amen? Amen? Amen. But I constantly come across, and people want to cling tight to religion. And that's what the religious leaders are doing. And that's what these people who are following religious leaders were doing. They were clinging tight. We can't understand these things because we have a religion ship. We thought we were good with Abraham and Moses. But no, you're not. They spoke and pointed to Jesus. And Jesus even said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are those which testify of me. But you won't come to me that you may have life. And so, saints, the call is for you to come while you have the light. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus says, hear my words. Amen? So conclusion point number two, count the cost. A fruitful life is one of self-denial. He who loves his life will lose it. And because Jesus died for us, we will now live for him. Last point, I'll make it quick, got 15 minutes. Reflect the sun, be the moon and the stars. Very simple. Verse 37 in your Bibles. But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. This is sad. All the signs, all the miracles, everything that was done before them. What more do you have to do? What more could he do at this point? Lazarus was raised from the dead. What more needed to take place? And then verse 38 says that the the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 where the prophet Isaiah was sent to judge the people of God for rebelling against him and worshiping idols. And he says that what happens is eventually, as you continue to walk in opposition to God, your your heart's blinded. And that God, okay, as he did Pharaoh, is that Pharaoh continued to reject and harden his heart, the Bible says, then finally God said, okay. If that's what you want, that's what you get. And saints, ultimately, that's what God does, is he honors your decision. He's a gentleman, And so here's the truth. You're either going to bow now in grace or you're going to bow later forcefully in judgment. He would offer you to bow now in grace, right? I would present to you to bow now in grace. But the other option is you can bow later forcefully in judgment when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and no one else. And you're going to have a cameo appearance with him where it's going to be you and the Lord, mano y mano. And you're going to give an account. And I'd rather stand before the Lord with Jesus on my side than to stand alone. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus is making it very clear, hey, they can't hear, right? They're, they're not listening because of what the prophet has said when he prophesied about their rejection. We talked about those that are in the cry. So verse 37 says that they would not believe. Then 39 says they could not believe. 39b says that God said they should not believe because they trample his grace. See, saints, in order to get to hell, you have to basically get in an 18-wheeler and steamroll the cross to get there. Because every breath you take is in grace. And every breath you take, you have an opportunity to receive the grace of God. And so those who end up in hell, isn't because God ordained that, but because that's what they chose to do. And if you don't believe me, he didn't even create hell for us. He created it for the devil and his angels, right? But there has to be a place that's quarantined all evils away from all those that he loves and all those that follow him. And so Jesus, again, his hands are stretched out over and over and over. I'm here. I am the light Walk. Why you still have the light. No matter the crowd, there are always those who are going to simply not believe. You can perform all the signs, you can perform all the wonders, and yet their hearts will still be hardened. And this rejection from Isaiah 6 was prophesied. Eventually, Saints, God will give us over to our own rejection, like Pharaoh, like Nebuchadnezzar, and all those people that are in Scripture. He will honor our decision. The example I like to use is that it's one big romance story. You guys have heard me say this before. Is that God continues to send us flower, cards, and candy through creation, through our conscience, through the gospel, right? But just like that crush you had back in grade school or high school is that eventually if they reject the gifts and don't receive them, what do you do if you really like them? You leave them alone. Okay, fine. You don't like my flowers. You don't like my fancy card. You don't like my gifts. So I guess you don't like me right? This is not going to work. This relationship's not going to work. Irreconcilable differences, right? And then eventually God says, okay, go ahead and deal with all those other people then. Good luck. Deal with all the other false gods and false ideologies that will leave you thirsting again. But he who drinks of this water will never thirst, he says. And so Jesus is constantly reaching out. God is constantly reaching out, sending us all these signs, Anyone who can look in the sky and look at the human anatomy and say that was an accident, you're foolish. I'm sorry. You're foolish. Just, it, just, it is what it is, right? The Bible says that, right? He's a fool who said there is no God. I, I mean, I'm just quoting a script. Just a messenger. I don't write the mail. Just deliver it, right? Okay? But that's what scripture says. If you can look at that and look at all the signs and say, yeah, I think it just kind of like appeared. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think I walked in the desert and I saw like a, a watch and I just thought that maybe it just evolved over time. There was no way that a person could have been here and dropped it. That doesn't make sense, right? Heave scripture, it's in there, amen? amen? So he continues to do that. The word darkness in John's gospel. John 1 talks about mental darkness. John 3 talks about moral darkness. John 12 talks about both judicial darkness and eternal darkness, When we look at Luke 16, he said they wouldn't believe even if someone came back from the dead. Unfortunately. But here's what they won't be able to say. "Is Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's what they won't be able to say. In fact, the Bible says they will be without excuse. And that, again, is a countless reminder of God's love for us. Amen. Verse 42, he says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. What is it with the synagogue? They didn't want to be put out. The synagogue was their identity. That's the problem, is religion is their identity is that they're all in religion. I don't want to be put out of the synagogue. You guys remember John 9 is the blind man's parents. Oh, I don't want to say anything. they might put us out the synagogue. Won't be able to come here and do our rituals, right? But they were so afraid. It says they believed. They saw the signs. They received it. But because they were more concerned about pleasing man, that they didn't confess the Lord. Saints, we have to consider in our lives, who are we aiming to please? Or when we, when we don't share the gospel, essentially it's because most of the time we, we're afraid we don't know enough or we just, and I don't want to, what are they going to say about me? They might call me a Jesus freak. That's a, I think I'm going to regret that when I stand before God, I was called a Jesus freak. <laughs> You're not going to regret that. Amen? You're not going to regret that. That's, all, that's, that's treasures in heaven. But essentially what it is, is that the Pharisees says they love the praise of man rather than the praise that come from God. And when you do that, that's a stumbling block to your relationship with the Lord. It says many of the rulers believed in him, Nicodemus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Saints, the fear of man brings a snare. That's why we're to fear God and no one else. We cannot seek the praise of man over the praise that comes from God. See, essentially, Romans 2.9, it says this, that he is a Jew is one who's one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. My praise doesn't come from the church or the synagogue. It comes from the Lord. Amen? My identity is not in the church, although I'm a member of it, the body of Christ. But my identity is in Christ, as Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And so that is the heart and profession of the Christian. But they, sadly, were more concerned about the praise that comes from man. Saints, as believers, our heart is to seek to please God and not man. As I said before, religion-ship or relationship, choose one. Because you can't have both. Amen? 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Hey, Jesus never said he was God. Right here. Right here. And many, 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 many more. Right? He who believes in me does not believe in me, but he who sent me. The Father. He who sees me, sees him who sent me, the Father. Can it be any more clear than that? He is God. He is saying, I am God. I am the express image. I am the visible God made visible. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look no further. I am here. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus would say. That salvation only comes through him. Jesus affirms that believing in him is the same as believing in God the Father. Some statements by Jesus, I and the Father are one. Pretty clear, right? He's pretty ambiguous, huh? Jesus is the light of the world to enable us to see the reality of our sin. Whoever trusts in Jesus for salvation will no longer be in the dark about spiritual things, right? It all comes from him. Saints, to believe in Jesus is a cause for repentance and faith. Like I tell people, it's two wings of the same plane, repentance, if you're in, I I love this analogy, it's really simple. If you're in Los Angeles and you need to get to New York, you got to leave Los Angeles first. Amen? That's repentance. And then you got to make your way to New York. That's called faith, right? But it's real simple. You're turning from this location and you're going and placing your trust in someone else. See, some people, yeah, I repented from that sin and then you went to another one, right? So you didn't really repent. All you did was replace it, right? Repentance is leaving it and then trusting in Jesus, That's repentance and faith. And Jesus, that's his message. To leave religion, to leave sin, and place your trust in the light. He cries out to them, I've come as light in the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Then he says in verse 47, we'll finish up, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Wow. Saints is very clear. Jesus' message is very clear and hard for those to receive who constantly love their life and won't forsake anything for Jesus. But to hear and not believe is to reject life. It's to love darkness rather than light. We have free will, and each of us must choose this day whom we will serve. See, Jesus' first coming was to save. It wasn't to judge. It wasn't to condemn. It was come to save us. And that's why he came on a donkey, humble, meek and mild. Little Jesus, meek and mild, right? But when he comes back, don't be no donkey, okay? He's not coming in on a donkey, He's going to be on a white horse, magnified, glorified to wage war on all his enemies. And he's rightfully so in doing it. And his message today to each and every one of us, if you have not done that, place your trust in him, accept little Jesus meek and mild now, amen, (laughs) or you're going to deal with the judge on the white horse later, right? And again, it's to save you from your sin. It's not to destroy your life, but to save it. It's not to take your life, but to give it. And so all who place their trust in him have the promise of everlasting life. Saints, we will all, this is the bottom reality. We will all, every single one of us, will stand before God on judgment day. And the very words of Jesus saying, come to me, will be the very words that will judge us because we did not come because he is the only way to be reconciled to the Father. I'll read this last verse, then we'll get to communion. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who has sent me gave me command what I should say and what I should speak. In verse 50, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Unlike the religious leaders, Jesus spoke with authority from heaven, not the authority from religion. Jesus has come to save and give us everlasting life with him forever, not to destroy, damage, or steal. Saints may we heed Jesus' words, and may we reflect Jesus and be the moon, the stars, and reflect the sun, to share this exact message that Jesus is, is preaching right now is that he did not come to destroy, but to save. He did not come to steal. And kill, but to give an abundant life that can only be found in him. And he gives that with clarity. And so the exhortation for all of us here is that some of us are on the fence. We have the serious, the curious, and the fears. The fears probably, if they're here, they're gone now. All right? <laughs> That's for sure. They didn't hang around for this message. But if you watch later online, amen. Some of us are straddling the fence. Some of us are, are back and forth. Some of us are struggling with our sanctification. And if you are, praise God, pray, and the Holy Spirit will give you help over that. But here's the reality. I love what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9 11. He says that the race is not for the swift, the battle's not for the strong, the bread's not for the wise, the riches are not for the men of understanding, and favor is not for the men of skill, but time and chance happens to us all. Is that we are all going to die one day. One per person, we're going to die one death per person, all of us. And when we do, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. Everything that you've ever done in your entire life, everything you said and thought and think and done right now gave me a headache just thinking about it. But I'm going to have to give an account. And Jesus says, all who come to me, I will no wise cast out. And that everyone who confess with their mouth and believe in the heart that Jesus Christ is Lord will not come into judgment but it's passed from death to life. And so Jesus' message is choose life today because tomorrow you, may, you are not promised. And so anyone who has not done that, today's the day of salvation. I want to give you an opportunity before we take communion, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If there's anyone in here, all you do is just raise your hand, I'll pray with you and we can talk afterwards and we go from there. Anyone here today that wants to surrender their life to the Lord? Who hasn't done it? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, that there's a party in heaven and the angels are rejoicing. Praise God for my sister. God bless you. As we transition into a time of communion and we look at the Lord's table, the history behind it is that, if you guys remember back in Exodus when God gave them a great deliverance out of Egypt when they were in bondage, is that he delivered them with the last plague the angel of death. And the angel of death is a picture reality of every single one of us, as I said earlier, is that he was going to kill all the firstborn in all, in all the area, unless they got a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And then the angel of death would pass over the doorpost and not take the firstborn. And so God delivered them out of Egypt and called it the Passover, that last one, And then eventually we saw what it was pointing to. And so the Lord's table the Passover is for believers. When we first, when we take the communion, we reflect. What we want to do is we want to look back at the cross as a reminder of what Jesus did for us. See, the Old Testament saints will look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And what we do is we want to look back and reflect on what the cross means to us. Re-examine it. Make it be fresh in your mind so that we don't take it for granted. And then we want to look within and examine our, ourselves. David said, if there be any wicked way in me, examine me, O oh Lord, and lead me down the path of everlasting life. And then, my brothers and sisters, we want to look forward to the day we're going to take this with Jesus in heaven, which I cannot wait. And sooner rather than later, hopefully, right? But so we do this in the name of the Lord. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, when he's giving communion, he says this in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, this do, this do. As often as you drink, in remembrance of me, and what he was saying was that all the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It was the blood of Jesus that offered once and for all. Hebrews says, past, present, and future sin. It would cover it forever. And that's what we're going to partake in today. So, if you guys want to pass it out and start playing the worship music? As they're passing out, I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you are who you say you are. We love you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And we thank you that your word is true. And we have the promise of everlasting life. We thank you for the the young lady that gave her life to you today, Lord. And we pray, as Jesus said in John 8, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. And be with us as we partake in your holy communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.